your Bible, if you would join me in Matthew chapter number 9, and we're going to read verse 9 down to verse number 8, verse number 1 down to verse number 8, I'm sorry. Yeah, pretty kind of an awkward way to read, wouldn't it? Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 down to verse number 8. The Bible tells us, actually let's start in verse 34 of chapter 8, because that's going to tie into what we're going to talk about today. It says in uh, Matthew eight thirty four, and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. Well, that sounds like America, doesn't it? And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city, and behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. God, again, your word before us is our wisdom. It is our understanding. And we rejoice that you've granted us such grace through the scriptures. And I pray, God, that you would unpack your truth for us today. I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to what your word has to say to us that we would leave here, Lord, refreshed, encouraged, edified, built up on the Word of God, and that it would be our foundation. It would be the rock upon which we stand. And when men in this world ask us and challenge us, that we would go back to the Scriptures and ask the question, what saith the Scriptures, that it would be our light, our wisdom. And so at this time, Lord, we pray for your blessing. And may your Holy Spirit have his way in this service now. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. If I were to ask you this morning, what do you value most in life? And I gave you a piece of paper with three slots on it. What would be the top three things that you would write down that you value most in your life? I'm sure many of us would say our families, our, our, our health, uh, our home, uh, God and His Word. But... Then the question would come is, do the pursuits of our life reflect those values? Do the things that we are pursuing with our time and our energy and our resources reflect our values? Or do we know the right answers, but we don't always live out those right answers? If Christ's value is based on our pursuit of Him with our lives, what could you point to to show His value? What would you say, I know the Lord is valued in my life because of this. What priority does the Word of God have in your life? Do you study the Scriptures? I would say, in essence, the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible is people who study the Bible ask questions. Um, what, what does your church attendance say? Uh, do, you, do, you, do you come to church with a desire to grow and, and to love and worship the Lord? Uh, or has it become some kind of a ritual in, in essence? Uh, do, do you desire to get involved in classes and, and learn about Christ? You know, last Sunday was a record Sunday in our life groups. That's the most we've ever had 
in the history of Lighthouse. That's good news, isn't it? People wanting to plug in and learn the Word of God. What does your evangelism, sharing your faith, say about how much you value the Lord in your life? The Bible is clear that there is nothing more valuable, nothing more precious than knowing Christ. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46, uh, Jesus talks about the, the value of the kingdom of heaven. And he said it would be worth selling everything you had to have that, to give up all that you had for that priceless treasure. The value of Christ is really seen in the heart of the psalmist in David's words in Psalms 84 verse 2. He says, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Wouldn't it be great if, if the, that was the desire of the believers of our day? He says in verse 1 and 2, as the heart panteth, or the deer pants after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I was reading this week in my here journal doing a study out of John 5 and, and Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees and he says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. And what you find is the religious leaders of the day had, had memorized much of the Bible. They had read it. They had studied it, but they missed Christ. They, they, they missed Jesus in the midst of their reading. And, and they, were, they were religious readers. But they missed the worship and the glory of Christ in the scriptures. And he says, you, you, you're doing it all in vain. And, and, and I fear today that, that we can come to the word of God and we can read the word of God and we can walk away without seeing Christ in the scriptures. And and the way that happens is you read the scriptures and we're unmoved by his glory. Like it's, it it, it doesn't affect us. We we read it and we're, you know, I'm not quite sure what I just read, but but I know I read for the day. I checked the box off, got that time slot in and we move away. We're doing doing nothing efficiently for our lives. We're, 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 we're in some sense taking lightly God and Christ and, and there is no longing, there is no crying out, there is no seeking Him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and loving Him. And, and we're somewhat pharisaical in going through the motions of reading and missing the glory of Christ in the midst of His Word. And He says, search the Scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they testify of Me. Didn't the men on the road to Emmaus miss Christ in Scripture? He says, he says you err. And, and, and he begins, to, he says, you're fools. In the Greek, it's moros. It's where we get the word morons. He's like, you're morons. You, 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 and, and, and he begins to go through the Bible with them to show them how these things had to happen to him. So today, let's not be morons. Let's come to the Word of God worshipful of Christ. You shouldn't look forward to your coffee more than you do Scripture. Amen? Get your coffee. Sip your lattes, right? But worship Christ. You should, you should get done reading and fall on your knees before Him. You should get done reading and say, I, I, I have to bow in His presence for a moment. I, I, am, I am overwhelmed with the glory of Christ. Paul exemplified this spirit in in Philippians 3. He went through his resume of all that he accomplished for God. And he says, I've added all of it up, everything I've ever worked for. And he says, I count it but dung 
It is nothing to me compared to the all-surpassing glory of knowing Christ. He said, I would gladly give all of it up so that I might know Him in Philippians 3, 7 through 10. That is the beat of the heart of those who understand the value of Christ. A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The Pursuit of God, that we are in danger of the love of this world and the tyranny of things. Possessions, worldly things grab our hearts. And, and years ago, there were some believers in Russia who, if you're a believer in Russia, you basically put your life on the line many times and you, it, it's just, you're, but, but they, um, they're so devoted to Christ. And, and some of them shared with one missionary, they said, it must be very difficult being a Christian in America because you guys don't have persecution. You guys have so much stuff. Boy, Christ must be hard to worship in the midst of all of that. You know, we don't have anything. I fear too often we can give God our verbal love, but our actual love is kept from Him. A.W. Tozer wrote a prayer 20 years ago that when I read it, I've just never forgot it. At the end of chapter 2, he writes, Father, I want to know you, but my cowardly heart fears to give up its toys. And he said, I can't part with them without inward bleeding. I do not try to hide from thee the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I've cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that thou mayest enter and dwell there without a rival. Boy, we need prayers like that today, don't we? Y'all with me this morning? You believe that? Okay. Don't get me worked up. I'll start all over again. And today I want to look at the example of those who could care less about Jesus. They could care less if he stayed or if he went, and really they just didn't want to have him. And then we're going to see an example of one who desired him greatly. And today we're going to be looking at a message I've entitled, Valuing the Lord's Presence. And first of all, we see the tragedy of rejecting the Lord's presence. And it starts back in verse 34 of chapter 8. It says, and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And, and boy, that starts off real good. It's like, wow, you know, they're coming out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him. It's like, oh man, they're, they're seeking after him. But what are they seeking him for? That he would depart out of their coasts. And you know what verse 1, the next thing it says? And Jesus began to say, no, you don't know how valuable I am. I want to bring my word to you. I want you to be saved. You need to know me. You need to repent. Heaven is real. Hell is real. You need to be saved. It's not what it says. It's not what it says at all. They said, Jesus, we want you to leave. He says, bye. Walks off scene. Anybody see that coming? You don't want me? You won't have me. You ask me to go, and I will get on my ship, and I will never return here. That's what he does. He never comes back, ever. Gadara never meets Jesus again. But he does send a demon-possessed man to preach. Demon-possessed guy's like, Jesus, can I go? And he says, no. He says, you go back into that city, and you tell them what I've done for you. You know what? Gadara missed Jesus because they would, they would rather have two maniac demon-possessed people than Jesus Christ on their shore. Boy, that sounds like America, doesn't it? They'd rather have drag queens talking to children in our schools than Jesus. 
think that's true? But the ACLU would come against Jesus. They would let drag queens live all day among our children. And why on earth do men want to dress up as women and talk to little children? That, that is a sick perversion, isn't it? Um, in, in, in verse number one, this is also very interesting to me. It says, and he entered into a ship and passed over. And what's the last part of verse one say? And came into his what? Now, now if, if you didn't know this passage, you would think that he came into his own city being the city of Nazareth. Wouldn't that be right? I mean, where did Jesus grow up? He didn't grow up in Bethlehem. He had to run from Bethlehem. He didn't grow up in Egypt. He grew up in Nazareth. The Bible tells us that he grew up in Nazareth. According to Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Luke 4. I want to show you a couple things there. One thing you find about Nazareth in the Bible, Nazareth was a very insignificant town. I mean, this was not like a popular city. Jesus didn't grow up in like the, a cool town. He grew up in a place kind of like Xenia. We've had people come to our church, and, and they, I said, who invited you? They said, you know, so-and-so invited me. And I was like, you know, you guys, you go to church in Xenia? We've had people who've come here, and they, they laugh about it now, but they said, you know, we, our friends were like, you go, why, you go to Xenia? Isn't there a better town than that with a better church than that? <laughs> there you go. And so he comes to Nazareth, or he, Nazareth, I should say, was his hometown, you know, when, 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 when Philip came to Nathaniel and said, we found him, Jesus of Nazareth, remember what Nathaniel's response was? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's what Nathaniel said about it. It was, it was a spurned city, scorned, looked down upon. They, they, they would, it, was, it was kind of a mocking way to call them the, the sect of the Nazarenes, is what they called the early church believers. And what's so amazing is... When he does come to his hometown of Nazareth, uh, which was his hometown, his first message that he ever preached is recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, in Nazareth. And it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit uh, into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Everybody's praising him, worshiping him, and then verse 16, and he comes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. I mean, for 30 years of his life. I mean, this is where he lived. And, and, and look, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and what did he do? He stood up to read. Why do we stand to read? It's honor the Lord and His Word, right? Uh, so he preaches a message to them from verse 17 down to verse number 21. He goes through some passages with them from Isaiah. And, and look what verse 22 says after they get done hearing him. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They're like, wow, this is, this is powerful. This is something. But how do they respond? It says, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? This is it's just Jesus. Um, what caused them to stop marveling at Christ was they, they just turned Jesus into the all-too-common Jesus. Oh, I've known Jesus. I, I grew up as a Christian. I went to Christian school. I didn't personally, but people, I went to Christian school. I, I grew up in church as a little, you know, I've, I've heard all that before. Oh, okay. 
You from Nazareth? Is that where you're from? Are you a Nazareth Christian today? You one of those guys? Jesus is nothing really special to you. He's not really the son of God to you. He's, he's kind of the son of Joseph, which is clearly false, right? And look at verse 23. And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Well, that's what they did when he was on the cross, didn't they? Uh, and whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do thou here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. I remember when my brother-in-law Chad was going to start a church in Xenia. He never came to Xenia to do it because his family were all here. And he told me, he said, a prophet's not without honor except in his own country. And so he went up to Greenville and started a church. So I came to Xenia. Um, he said, a prophet's not without honor except, except in his own country. And, and he begins to talk to them about how Elijah was rejected by the nation of Israel. And he said, you know, in the days of Elijah, there were a lot of widows. But Elijah was never, and there was a lot of widows in need during the drought during that season. Three years of drought. But God never sent him to any of the widows of, of, of Israel. But he did send him to a widow that was of Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman, and it was a Gentile woman. And he says, and there was a lot of lepers in the time of Elisha, but unto no leper did God send Elisha to heal in Israel, but he did heal Naaman, the Syrian, who was another Gentile. <laughs> so he's like, the two greatest prophets of Israel during those times when they rejected God, God rejected them. And, and they missed the blessing of God upon their nation. How do the people respond to this? You think they're accepting of it? You know, conviction does one of two things. You either get humble and repentive, or you get mad. Y'all with me? You ever, you ever, anybody ever been mad at a message? Just irritated at thinking preacher? You know, frustrated. I've had people so mad at me before. I had people who thought I preached the whole sermon just to them. I'm like, I only do that to Ken Fry. There's really no one else that I do that for, you know? Verse 29, and look, or look what they do in verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him into the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. They were going to murder him for his message. Uh, do you think Jesus was... Uh, Seeking to be popular? Did it look like he was more concerned about truth than he was acceptance? <laughs> you know, unless we really make the world, uh, the church like the world, and the world feels really comfortable in church, you know, that we, we really, no, we don't do that. You know, church service is not designed for unbelievers. This morning is not designed to make a lost person feel comfortable. Quite frankly, I don't want lost people to come in here and feel comfortable. I want them to feel loved and welcomed and all of that, but they should leave here. Being, and if they're not right with God, they need to feel that. They need to feel the weight of that. I'm not in here going to preach John 3.16 every week. We're going to dive into the word verse by verse because God's people need God's word to grow. That's, that's, a, that's a very important difference between Lighthouse and some other churches. The church is not designed for the lost. It is designed for the saved. We, we don't meet to evangelize, we go to evangelize. Does that make sense? 
Now, people get saved almost every week in our services, but that's not our, like our focus is, is growing the believers so that they can go out and evangelize and win the lost and bring them and so forth. But, and, and, so, and so they reject Christ. He leaves the city. And look at verse 31 of Luke 4. But passing through the midst, and, and he leaves them, verse 31, and came down to Capernaum. In chapter 5, verse 1 of Luke 5. And it came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. And you find by verse number 3 that he sat down and taught the people. He taught those who wanted the truth. You need to hear this very clearly. Gadara didn't want Jesus. He left them. Uh, Nazareth didn't want Jesus. He left them. And then later on, the city of Capernaum didn't want Jesus and he leaves them too. Jesus Christ will give you the Word of God. He will bring you the truth, but He will not force-feed you. He will not make you accept it. Sometimes I've had people say, you know what, um, you know, Lord just really needs to, and they begin to put all these mandates upon God. God's got to do something special to kind of do to them for them to really believe in Him. I'm like, really? You think God's on trial here, right? Um, you don't put God on trial, you're on trial. He is perfect. You're the one jacked up. You need to humble yourself and like seek Him. Like if you read the Bible like I got nothing out of it, it wasn't the Bible's fault that morning. We just didn't value Him. You know, God is not cheap. Did you hear that? Like God's not like, hey, you can buy Him at Walmart on the checkout line. We want the Walmart checkout line Jesus. We want the microwavable fast food Jesus. He's like, I don't feed people like that. You don't, you don't take me serious. You don't sit down and study and long for and hunger more than your necessary food, the Word of God, then you'll leave empty every time. You come to church, half wide, eyes half closed, still sleepy, thinking about the things in the world, you're going to leave empty. But if you get up this morning and you seek Him and you're longing for Him and you're reading the Word, studying it, desiring the things of God, He will fill you in direct proportion to the desire that you've shown Him. Know that. Know that. Friend, how valuable is Jesus in your life? That's why we do life groups. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. You mean i got to do some homeworks? You can go to life group and do no homework. You don't have to fill out that page that takes probably five to ten minutes to fill out. If you don't want to answer questions about the Bible, you don't have to answer them. But you better know those answers when someday God has somebody come into your life and you're not able to answer those questions because you didn't want to answer questions. The difference between reading and studying is people who study ask questions. We, we design questions so that you, you can study the Word of God. Well, I don't want to do that. Then... Is it, is it just so unenticing? Is it so undesirable? Does it take you five, ten minutes? Are you on Facebook for four hours this week, but you can't take four minutes to study? Like, I can't even get that. That's, you don't have to do that work. You don't have to. You can still sit and grow and do all those things, but I can tell you, you'll miss out on some stuff in life. I don't like doing degree. I don't want to do a here journal. Really? Why? You don't want to study? You don't want to walk away that day with something you can share? I could share from the overflow of my heart for the rest of this sermon just the things that God's shown me in the last couple of weeks in, in just doing hear journals. Don't miss that stuff. 
And you think by going through some ritual, checking off a box, walking away, and what, what do you have that day that you could share with somebody that you learned? Do you have something? Or is Jesus just the all too common Jesus? Oh, that's just the son of Joseph. We may never say that, but our life speaks a lot louder than our lips. Beware, friends. We can become Nazareth. How much do you desire him? You know, I think about it. Moses in Exodus 33. He told God, he said, God, if your presence doesn't go up with me, I will not go. I'm not going to go. Exodus 33, verse 15. You know, America is like the Titanic and the icebergs of sin are just beating this nation down and, and it's collapsing. And would to God, God would do a revival in the hearts of his people. The answer will never come from the White House. It will come from the church house. There's got to be believers who get real serious about the Lord Jesus Christ. He will revolutionize people's lives. I mean, look what he's done in 13 years, six to 700 people at Lighthouse. God has done some great and marvelous things that only he gets credit for. Wouldn't it be great to see churches splattered all across the country that we could train people and send guys out and start churches and send missionaries out. Here in Matthew 9, Capernaum is referred to as his own city. Capernaum is only about 20 miles away from Nazareth. But tragically, by the time you get to Matthew 11, verse 23 and 4, they also had rejected Christ. And so Christ's response to those who don't want him, he'll, he'll just let them go. He doesn't like scream at him, preach at him, yell at him try to force him he just you don't want him he'll just let you go secondly an example of those who valued Christ's presence is found in verse 2 and behold the word behold there is like a, a grab your attention word this is like an exclamation point and behold they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed so he came to his own city and then there are some guys bringing a man who's paralyzed lying on a bed uh, this story is repeated both in Mark chapter number Two and in Luke 5. In high school, I played football, and there would be times where we would have drills where you'd like put a guy on your back and like, like crawl or like do some kind of, you'd lock arms and do some different things like carry them. I hated that. It was, there was nothing easy about carrying another person. And sometimes somebody would get injured and like you would have to carry them off the field or something. And, and, and it's just, Dead weight like that is very hard. You could take a guy who could deadlift 315 pounds. That guy ain't picking a 300-pounder up and carrying him anywhere. <laughs> like, you just can't do it. It's just a very, it's, it's not easy to do. So there's four guys carrying a paralyzed man on a, on, 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 a, on a makeshift bed. And I just wonder, how far did they carry this guy? I mean, a, a half mile away if their town was, I mean, that's a long way to carry a guy on a bed, isn't it? You ever like, It'd be like four guys carrying like a small refrigerator. It's like after a while, you're like, man, I got to put, my hands are killing me, man. <laughs> you know, come on now. And you, you get up and go again. And it's not like smooth roads. I've been over there. It's, it's rocky terrain. It's hills. It's like you don't have a real comfortable place to put him down at even if you stop. I mean, this is, this is taxing. This is hard. What if it was two miles away, five miles away? I mean, this is not an easy situation here. The first thing that valuing Christians will do is it will cause you to be committed. These guys were committed. They were committed to getting their friend to where the Lord was. What you value in life, you will commit to. If you value your marriage, you'll be committed to it. You value Christ, you'll commit to Him. And, 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 and 
One of the signs of a true friend is they will always seek to bring their friends to Jesus. You know, the, the greatest friends in my life are the ones who brought me to the Lord. These guys are making some serious sacrifice of time and energy to bring him to where the Lord was. And there are some challenges here. Verse 2 um, just says these guys are bringing a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. But when you read Mark 2 and also in, in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 verse 18 says, And behold, uh, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, he's paralyzed, and they sought means to bring him in. They're like, where can we bring him in? Jesus is in this house and we've got to get him to Jesus to lay before him. And when they could find, not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude. I mean, they, they carry their friend the entire way. They get to Jesus and they're like, oh, the crowds are too many. We can't get him in. And you would think somebody would be like, hey, you know, there's, there's four guys. They're carrying this guy with a, who's paralyzed on a bed. Let's, let's make some room. Nobody does that. Everybody's just kind of like, it's my chair. It's my parking lot. It's my spot. You know, they, they had kind of an us for no more mentality, didn't they? And uh, if I ever hear of the attitude uh, of somebody here that says, you know, that's my chair, I will sit in your chair. I will preach from your chair. And then I will park in your parking spot. So, so what do they do? Uh, the rest of verse 19 in Luke chapter 5 says this, They went upon the housetop and let him down through the tilling, uh, uh, or the ceiling of the house, with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Mark 2, 4 says they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. You need to understand houses in those days had flat roofs. They usually had a stairway outside that led up to the roof there. People would sometimes even sleep on the roof because of the heat of the house and the kitchen and so forth. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, verse 9, Peter was up on the roof praying. Uh, these men go onto the roof with the paralyzed man. They're literally pulling off the ceiling and, and the roof tiles of the house, digging through the clay underlayment and commence in lowering this man down in front of where Jesus is. You know, there's, there's quite a few reasons I thought they could have stopped and been like, you know, this is really... Friend, we brought you here. You know, the rest is up to you. I mean, I mean this is... This is tough. I thought, I thought if I sought Jesus this far, that would be enough. I thought, if, man, if I made the journey, surely that's enough. But no, there's, there's more that you got to do. Sometimes when you seek after the Lord, there's, there's some obstacles that you're going to have to overcome. Sometimes you're going to have to be made a little bit more uncomfortable than what you reckoned. But some people don't want to press into where Christ is because it's just too externally uncomfortable. What are people going to think if I got that serious about being where he was? I mean, there was a lot of reasons these guys could have. And I'm sure when they're starting to pull the tiles off, there's people like, you goof, what are you guys doing? Stop. I mean, you imagine Jesus teaching and somebody's like, I knew the roof was going to fall in on me. I knew I wasn't worthy to be here. You know, the roof starts coming down on the heads. I mean, and, and, and somebody would have thought, you know, he's in the middle of a message. This is so disruptive. We had somebody just a few minutes ago walking up on the roof of the building here. You, some of you probably heard like, what is that? You know, I should time it. It'd be like, okay, 
when I hit this button, jump on the roof, I'm going to be preaching real loud. You know, people are like, whoa. You know. Some of you have sit in here and the Lord's going to come down. Boom, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, get right with God. So I'm, I'm, sure they're, they're, I'm sure they were thinking, let's wait till the message is at least over. Let, let's let's like, like, like maybe get Jesus on his way out. Let's, let's wait till the crowd's kind of spence. And then you have to ask the question, it's a little precarious to lower a paralyzed guy with ropes down. You know, like if you're laying on a bed, you'd be like leaning one way or the other. But this guy's paralyzed. You roll him wrong and he's off. Like, sorry. <laughs> I told you, John, you hold your side up. You know, I mean, I'm just telling you, this is, when you start thinking about it, this is not like an easy process. Like these guys, I mean, and, and how do you hold that? Like, that's not an easy move to, like, lower down. This is extremely distracting. I mean, after a while, you'd have thought the crowds would be like, listen, just bring him around the front. No. <laughs> They're lowering the guy down to where Jesus was. This, this is just incredible to me. They wanted their friend to be in the presence of God so much that there was literally no obstacle too great to keep them from bringing their friend to the Lord. Nothing. Nothing would stop them. Nothing would stop them. Dear friends, if we would have that kind of heart today, that we would look upon those in our lives that are broken, hurting, and lost to, to have a heart to bring them to Christ, to see their only hope is Him. Who in your life is not saved? You and I can't save them, but we can tell them. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? And do they know Christ? You should not be able to live where you're at very long without having invited your friends to church, your neighbors to church, or at least told them about Christ. That should not be said of you. If that can be said of you, then you're missing it. If I died and my children were lost, would I want them to be your neighbor? Could I trust you with my children? Could I trust that you would go say something to them? Or would I say, no, no, not that person. They would never go to their neighbors. They're too concerned about the obstacles. It'd be too tedious for them. Be that person. And I love the stories I hear at Lighthouse of people going to their neighbors, doing different events, inviting people. Praise God for that. Let me ask another question. How hard have you sought to be in the presence of God? Well, it doesn't take much to get people away from the Lord, does it? You know, Time Change Sunday is annually the lowest Sunday typically of the year. Just one hour knocks 20% of the church out. One hour, that's all it takes. I wonder if the Super Bowl was at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, if those same people would get up and watch it. But it just takes one hour. It's like, you know, 11 o'clock service even. Like there's an 11 o'clock. By 11 o'clock, two-thirds of my day's over. I preach much better in the early service. By 11, I'm like, man, mentally, I'm getting foggy right now. I'm trying to, you think you would do better the second time around. No, 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 I slow down. 11 o'clock is like late. We need to have like a 7 and a 9 o'clock services, I think. Just get really fresh, you know. So, <laughs> it doesn't take much. It's, it's. I used to get discouraged by Time Change Sunday. Now I, I actually kind of enjoy it because I get to come and preach to those who are really committed. I'm like, they're really serious. The Lord convicted me about that years ago, and I'm like, you're right, Lord. I, you, 
I, I, I try to preach the best sermon I ever can on those kind of days. I try to study extra for those seasons when I know the committed will really make the sacrifice because it's like you're, you're, you're getting out of your comfort zone a little bit more. I just, uh, I, I just never want to turn into a Nazareth Christian. I just never want to be a Gadara Christian. I never want to be somebody who just treats Jesus as common. Let me give you a third thought here and we'll kind of move toward the end. It's a general direction. The Lord's response and reward to those who value Him in verse 2 through 8. It says, in Jesus seeing their faith, you know, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? In Jesus seeing, does it say His faith or their faith? Their faith. This is vicarious faith, isn't it? Jesus is literally going to bless the man for their faith. And I, I believe the man was also, could be in the word there. But these men are also there. How do you see faith? Well, I believe true faith always has some flesh and bo- bones on it. James 2.18 says, show me thy faith without thy works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You know, faith is like the wind, though you can't see its essence, you can see its action. You can see its effect. Do you have a living faith? Like, can you point to things in life and say, this evidence is my belief? I mean, you being here at like 8.30 in the morning, evidence is you believe there is, you believe something here. I mean, I I believe you trust in Christ. I believe you believe His Word. I believe you're serious. I want you to see here also, again, it's, it's it's not simply the man on the bed who had faith. These men blessed him with their faith as well. This also happens back in Matthew 8. It seems Matthew wanted to highlight the power of vicarious faith. Do you remember when he came to the centurion? The centurion said, my servant is sick, but speak the word only and he shall be healed. Nothing said of the servant's faith, but the centurion had great faith. and, And Jesus says, go home, he will be healed just as you have believed. Do you realize that's what happens when we pray for our lost loved ones? God can so often bless them because of our faith, not because of their faith. They must personally receive the gospel, but God can soften their hearts and prepare them for salvation. How does Jesus respond to their faith? In verse 2 it says, And he seeing their faith said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. I like that word son. Child. I mean, the guy had to be a little bit worried, right? Not only from being lowered down, but also from like coming into the presence of God. Like either he's going to destroy me or he's going to save me. Like like what's he going to do? And he says, son, child, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. they, They lower him down and Jesus forgives his sins. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the Greek word there for forgiven, aphemai in the Greek, refers to sending something away. Uh, it's exactly what Psalm 103 verse 12 means when it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He just took them away from us. He cast them away. When you come to Christ, he cast your sin away. 
Now, why does God forgive the sick of the palsy instead of healing him? I mean, these guys had to be thinking, you know, can you heal him? (laughs) And the guy on the bed could have also been thinking that. When they finally get him to Jesus after all the sacrifice, carrying the man by hand, arriving there, exhausted, on a Black Friday crowd, climbing on the roof, opening the roof up, lowering him down, what's Jesus do? He forgives him. Where's the healing? There's a very amazing truth here. What you see here is Jesus giving the man the best up front. They sacrifice to get to Jesus, and he's going to give the guy the best thing up front. You make that kind of sacrifice, I'm not going to wait to forgive you. I'll give you the best thing now. And you know why forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus has ever done in our lives, ever? People say, do you believe Jesus does miracles? Every day. Forgiveness of sins is the greatest miracle. Because nothing is more destructive in our lives than sin. Sickness is not more destructive to you than sin. Cancer is not as damaging as sin. Sin ravishes us from the inside out. It's so damaging, Jesus said it'd be better to have bad health and to have salvation and good health and go to hell, right? He said, cut your hand off, rip your eye out. Better to not even have body parts. Also, no miracle is greater than forgiveness because nothing costs more than forgiveness. It costs God more to forgive us than it ever would cost Him to to heal us. And then thirdly, no miracle is greater than forgiveness because forgiveness has the most lasting effects. I mean, there was some point where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus died again. Lazarus, at the end of his life, had to think, here we go again. (laughs) You know, everybody that Jesus ever healed died. But 100% of those Jesus forgave are still forgiven. So which one would you rather have today? Perfect health or perfect salvation? You know what he did for us? He's given us the best up front. He's given us the best up front. Is the healing coming? Oh, it's coming. And what we find here in these miracles of Christ is him prefiguring the kingdom where Psalms 103 says he forgives our iniquity and heals all of our diseases. One day eternally we will live without any type of physical effects of anything. So why does Jesus save this man from the horror of his sins? Because he responds to faith. Faith provokes God's blessings. And you know, their reward was greater than what they came for. They brought the man for healing and he left forgiven. When you pursue God, when you make sacrifice to be where He is, when you overcome obstacles, the Lord will bless you more than you had expected Him to. That's Ephesians 3.20, isn't it? When he says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the working of his mighty power. There's some uh, critical responses in verse 3. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. Always remember when God's at work, the enemy is at work. Whenever God is working, you're going to always have a front row critic. These critics came from within the house, not from without. They were right in front. Just just always know when you make a spiritual decision, somebody's going to be like, well, let's see how long that lasts. Well, let's see if you're really serious. Well, I doubt that's going to change anything. There's always going to be somebody who criticizes you. Why are you, why are you going on Sunday mornings every week? You crazy? Why, why, are you, why are you 
investing financially in that church? Why are you coming Wednesday? Why are you, why are you going up there and helping these days? And how does Jesus respond to these critics in verse 4? And Jesus, knowing their, what? Their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Boy, that just, that just uh, raised the temperature in the room, didn't it? At that moment, their, their mouths were not running, their mind was, and then Jesus just brings to light what they were thinking. They thought only God can forgive sin. Who does this guy think he is? God. He's like, why are you thinking that? Well, that was weird. I mean, this, this, this would have startled them. This would have shocked them. But before they could uh, think anything else, Jesus gives them something to ponder. He says, um, whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. What's easier to say? What a great question. They're like, well, you can't tell somebody they're forgiven. That's a divine prerogative. And you can't heal somebody. I mean, that's a divine prerogative. The answer is they're both impossible. Right? You, you can't forgive somebody's sins. And you can't heal them. They, they, they literally have no answer for Jesus. Now to the natural man, it would be easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee. Here's why. If you say your sins are forgiven you for all time, you can't test that, right? I mean, you can't see that. That's an invisible thing. It would be much harder to say to a paralyzed man, rise and take up your bed and walk, because if he didn't rise up and walk, then it would verify that he was paralyzed. That your words mean nothing. So here Jesus is going to validate the invisible, the spiritual, the forgiveness of sins by healing the man's paralysis. So not only does Jesus give the guy the best up front by, healing, by, by forgiving his sins, now he's going to heal him to prove the naysayers wrong. Verse 6 says this, But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up that bed, and go into thine house. I can tell you, every eye in the room is looking at this guy. If he gets up, Jesus has power to forgive. If he doesn't, he is a fraud. So what happens, verse 7, and he arose and departed to his house. His outward healing just validated his inward healing. Jesus put on display physically what happened to the man spiritually. His external health was reflective of his internal health. And, and how did the people respond to this in verse 8? But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto. Notice, they, they, they saw Jesus as a man. Whenever God is glorified, men are blessed. The greater the glory, the greater the blessing. This man brought his lost, broken life to Jesus, and when glory met him, it saved him and restored him. You know, it's interesting. He got up and went to his house. He immediately went to his house. I just wonder who at his home he needed to talk to. Perhaps he got injured. Perhaps something happened. Maybe even a sin caused him to have this health situation. And maybe that's why this man felt guilty over his sin. And Jesus forgave him first to relieve the pressure on the inside. Because I can tell you this, and you know this to be true of your own life. The greatest pains we have in life are not external, are they? They're internal. So Jesus brings the healing first where it's needed most. 
But maybe this man could no longer take care of his wife, his children, his family, his kids. Maybe he's never wrapped his arms around his wife and children for years because of his paralysis. This man gets to go home fully healthy. There's no uh, go and see the recovery group later. You know, go, go, you're going to have to go through some therapy for a while. None of that. When Jesus heals. It's 100% done. Perhaps today you feel broken like you need someone to carry you just to make it. I want you to know when you come to Jesus, when you make the sacrifice of truly pursuing Him yourself, not half-hearted, not partially, but fully, to lay your life before the Lord, He will give the best to you. He will lavish His blessing of forgiveness to the humble soul. It was a man who beat upon his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner that went home forgiven. And I close today by asking, what does your pursuit of the Lord say about His priority in your life? Gadara rejected Jesus. Nazareth treated Him as common. But for these five men that day, they came in faith and left eternally blessed. How have you come today? How have you come today? Also, the greatest friends in life are the ones who have brought me to Jesus. Where would you and I be if that person didn't care for our souls? Who have you brought to Jesus? Will anyone be in heaven one day because you brought them the gospel? It's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. But you know what? For these four men, their discomfort was worth bringing their friend to Jesus. I fear too much we put our comfort in front of our friends who need Jesus. Why didn't you share the gospel with them? Well, because it made you uncomfortable. So you're telling me you love yourself more than them, right? That's, that's, that's what that problem is. Well, I'm just kind of shying backwards. No, you actually love yourself more than them. You're, you're self-loving. We've all done it, myself included, right? Anybody ever loved yourself so much you didn't tell somebody about Jesus because you were too afraid? Yeah, if you're not raising your hand, you're not telling the truth. Or you've never even tried, which is even worse. So we've done that. And you know what? We need, to, we need to say, God, forgive me. You know, when God stirs our heart to talk to our friends and our loved ones about Christ and we don't do it, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in our own comfort. Praise God for four guys like that. Wouldn't you like to have friends like that? I would love to have friends. And, and, and praise God, he's given me a whole church family of people that are so gracious. Thank you for your faithfulness today. Thank you for your pursuit of God. And I pray today that it would stir up in us just a, a greater hunger a greater thirst, a greater longing for God. I pray tomorrow that when you open the Word of God, that you're searching for Christ, that you want to see Him on the pages of Scripture, and you would read, and you would study, and you would write down questions, and you would pursue answers to those questions, and you would long for that truth so that you might learn and you might pour that truth out to other people. You ever get around people that are just, you know they've been in the Word because the Word just spills out of them? They just, you, you know they're serious about their faith because it just that's what they talk about. And you get around other people and all they want to talk about is the things of the world. Don't, don't, don't let us be people who say we value Him. We say, okay, what do you value most? We, we would know what the right answers for 1, 2, and 3 are. You know, God, family, and then we go down the list. Ask yourself, is that what my life is showing? If that's really what I value, if, that's, if, if God is my number one, does my life show that? Because if he's not, has a little bit of Nazareth crept in? 
I can tell you the moment we get to heaven, there ain't no Nazareth belief going on there. <laughs> that's that's going to be rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He will bless us. He, he, is, he has blessed us already more than we could even imagine. The, 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 and, and sometimes, you know, that man could have said, Jesus, I can't believe you haven't healed me yet, you know, and, but he doesn't say he does that. But you know, that's what sometimes we can be like, Lord, my, my ankle hurts today, or my back hurts today, or my shoulder hurts, you know, what are you going to take this pain away from me? And, and I think the Lord would say, if you knew how much I've done for you so far. And sometimes God doesn't give us perfect health here just to remind us this is in our home. This earthly tabernacle of this body will one day be put off and we'll put on a new body which will be eternal, immortal, and just like His glorious body. So when our back hurts and our knees hurt and our neck aches and all these things that happen, we can say, thank you, God, that this is just a temporary dwelling place for me. I look forward to paradise with you and being in your presence. And thank you that you've made me perfectly clean on the inside. But we have so much to give praise to God for. Amen. But maybe today, why don't you labor in prayer for that friend? who is lost, who needs Christ, what have you done and what obstacles are keeping you from bringing them the gospel? Maybe you need to come and pray for that person. Maybe today you just need to come and pray that God would help you to be more devoted as a Christian, whatever that need is. But if you're here today and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? You don't know what you would say. I would love to talk with you. We have men and women that could show you from the Bible at the conclusion of this service how you can know when your life's over, you'll be in heaven. Nothing more important than that. Let's all stand this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your word today. What an absolute joy it is to be saved. We are so blessed by your grace. Father, I pray that you would bless this time as we just reflect upon what we've heard, that your word would be our wisdom, it would be our joy. We would long for your word as our more than our necessary bread. And, and Lord, you long to bless us. You, you have taken the first step. You came to this earth and died on the cross to bring us salvation. You've called out to us. And I pray, God, that we would come and humble ourselves before you, longing for you. You said in your word that when we seek you, we will find you when we search for you with all of our heart. Let us not be half-hearted creatures, but let us be fully devoted to the things of God. For in that is our joy and our fullness. Right now, if there's people in our lives that we have not shared the gospel with, may you stir us up and open those doors to bring the gospel to them, that you and all things would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.